Hello, and welcome to Whole and Complete Podcast. I'm Dr. Shantae, and this is the podcast about faith and wellness, loving God, and living well. And we are right in the middle of the Speaking from Hurt series. And so in our last episode, I was expressing the hurt that many of you have felt, that many of you have expressed to me, the hurt that I personally feel about everything that's going on. And even in the midst of that hurt, I do feel a shift, something is in the air and I'm I can't speak on what that something is but I you all see it just like I see it there's something different about this and I wanted to bring in other voices about that shift because I'm sure you guys have seen this is not just protest in the United States as of this podcast there have been protests in all 50 states and I had to go look it up I was like Alaska. Well, well, all right, Anchorage, you know, Honolulu. But it's not just us. It's Belgium. It's Tokyo. It's Australia. It's New Zealand. It's London. It's Brazil. It's Mexico. And it's like, okay, that's different. That there, There's a shift that is happening. And so with so many people out protesting and, and saying Black Lives Matter, I wanted to try to situate that conversation for believers, and I could not think of a better person to help do that than our guest today, which is Jasper Paul Taylor, who was the executive pastor at two churches in Chicago on the South Side and the West Side. And he has personally done the work to bring about change and diversity in predominantly white institutions and has heard many of those conversations that happen at those levels and he knows what it's like not to get support but he also knows what it's like to support believers who are really struggling to believe right now who are just so worn out and wrung out from everything that's going on reverend taylor welcome to the show thank you so much dr shante it's a pleasure uh, to be here with you today thank you so in our last episode we talked a lot about lamentations you know people crying out to god in pain and there's a lot of that happening right now people are struggling right now believers are struggling right now from where you sit how does how does lamenting fit with everything that's going on right now especially people who are kind of getting worn out with being told well you need to pray yeah that's a real thing and uh, you're right there are many people who have many different responses to everything that we have experienced not just this past week this past month this past year but really what we've been experiencing for 400 years. I, I've heard others suggest that we're dealing with um, the trauma of what we would com- call compounded grief, that for, you know, for centuries, really, generational trauma has passed down from one generation to the other. Those stories of what has happened to our grandparents, our great-grandparents. And so what we've experienced most recently, that's kind of uh, hit the pressure release valve. and We're now dealing with some emotions. Uh, Some are responding with anger. Some are responding with uh, sadness. Uh, But you're right. I think lament, uh, the the ability to lament is really the first step, one of the first steps, rather. We have to recognize that what has happened is real and identify that it is true, that it is valid, uh, something to not be ignored or dismissed. But once you do that, before you really can respond, I think it's important that you lament. And just from a biblical perspective, lamenting is an important step before you take any action. And I was reminded of David, First Samuel chapter 30. David 
and his men had just come back from war. They're going back home to Ziklag, and when they get to Ziklag, they they see this devastation of their community. Uh, their city has been burned down to the ground. Their wives and their children have been taken off uh, by an enemy. And the text, before it says uh, what they do uh, in response to that tragedy, it reminds us that before they did anything else, it's verse number four in chapter 30, that the Dave, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Mm. Um, and that's for, that for me is a biblical image of lament. It's, it's this ability to grieve deeply, not just to cry tears of sadness, but to really wrestle with the tension of the pain and the trauma that comes with all that we've experienced. Uh, with that being said, we've got to create space for people to lament uh, and encourage people to lament before they move to respond and take action. And sometimes even before they go and protest, they got to sit with the ang anger, sit with the tension and just say, hey, I am not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. I'm so glad that you said that because one of the things that we strongly condemn on this show is this cultural survival technique that has been ingrained in us, which is suck it up and soldier on, you know? Yeah. And when you talk, especially for believers, when you talk about what's wrong and what you're feeling, and I love that scripture that you use, you know, cried until they just couldn't cry, you know, anymore. Yeah. A lot of time you'll get some toxic positivity Oh, God is still good, though. Mm. God is still on the throne, though. All things work together. And, and all of that is true. Is, <laughs> Praise yeah. the Lord. All right. of that is true. Right. But what you're saying is believers should be encouraged to get that out and not stifled Absolutely. in that grief. Is that, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're really speaking to a larger conversation just about mental health. Uh, and hmm. what I've noticed is that in the black church, uh, we don't want to talk about health in general, but especially mental health. Talk uh, about it. We think there's an issue when we go through trauma or some kind of crisis. We think there's an issue with going to see a therapist of some sort. But God gives those people to us to help us navigate some of life's troubles. And in this case, for sure, we have to create space to cry out, to, to talk about it. And different people respond differently based on how they've learned how to deal with trouble from their parents and all other types of influences. But we have to be able to get it out. Once again, and let me say this, we have to get it out because if we don't get it out subconsciously it, and in subverted ways, it will come out in our actions. I've had many encounters with people something very simple, a simple conversation turns into something else because maybe they're dealing with something that they've never dealt with and processed. So we got to get it out in order for us to really be able to move forward to a place of productivity uh, and a place that will help us to move forward. I'm so glad that you said that because when, and that's just for anything in general. First of all, let me give y'all the, the backdrop. So Reverend Jasper, his mama is a, is a licensed professional therapist, you know, so he's, he's coming, man, I just couldn't think of anybody better to, to come and, and situate this con conversation with regard to Christian activism, but also that mental health piece. So he's also bringing that background. But to your point, 
not only is it a, a first step, you know, so let's deal with the pain, let's deal with the hurt, let's deal with the anger, let's process it and get it out, you know, specifically so that God can begin to heal us. Because it's not like God doesn't know we're suffering. <laughs> you know, it's not like God is, is surprised. So it's, it's not like we're doing him any favors. But I was listening to Bishop Joseph Walker yesterday. He's the pastor over at Mount Zion in Nashville. And he said, but after the protest, we have to have a plan. He said, Absolutely. you know, he said, there's a time for protesting. And he said, I support the protest. He said, but at some point, we have to have a plan. And so I think the protest and, and the civil disruption that we see in large part is the getting it out. Is <laughs> people coming mm -hmm. to the streets like I'm dating myself, Popeye the Sailor Man. He used to say, that's all I can stand because I can't stand no more. <laughs> and people, people have had it, you know, yeah. and, and enough is enough. But then when the, the, the protests began to dwindle, at some point, there has to be a plan. I've heard a lot of people saying and wishing, you know, I wish Dr. King was still alive because we need a leader, you know, to kind of to tell us, you know, what to do and, and that sort of thing. But all of us should be able to kind of look inside and say, you know, we don't need a leader or a figurehead to extend some human kindness, to extend some empathy, that sort of thing. So from your perspective, after the protest, how do you see the plan, quote unquote, beginning to take shape, especially for believers? I want to first speak to the protest piece. And you okay. mentioned protesting is, uh, it's an outlet. It's something immediate that we can do as a people to let the world know that we are not okay with what is taking place. But protest has, a, in my opinion, a bigger and maybe a hidden effect than what we really want to recognize. Protest is a form of agitation. Protest is a form of agitation. We are letting the world know that we are not okay with what has taken place. Protest puts a pause on the rhythms and the routines of life. And when mm -hmm. we shut down a road, when we overtake a city, uh, people have no other choice but to recognize and, and notice that, hey, something is happening, something is going on. And you're right, what you mentioned earlier, which is uh, we've seen protests in all 50 states here in America, uh, but I've heard, and I, this could be incorrect, but I've heard it's been uh, almost 18 countries outside of America. Yes, have all it has. Protested. Uh, that sends a signal to people, <laughs> and I'll underline this, who are willing to listen. If, if their ears are open and their eyes are open, they're getting a signal and they are going to be forced to listen. So let me say this, protest is a form of agitation. And as a people, we have never, ever gotten anywhere without some sort of agitation. Praying is good. It's necessary. It's part of our spiritual warfare. But we've got to put legs and uh, feet and hands to our prayers and begin to agitate. So I would say that first about protest. As it relates to the plan, where do we go forward from here? Well, we've got to put something behind our protest. We can't just talk about it. We got to be about it. And the first thing, the primary thing, it has to be voting. As a people, we have swung from one pendulum to the next, one side of the pendulum to the next. During the days of Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, we voted. Primarily, I think, because we wanted to see that change. 
of seeing the first African-American president to lead this nation. Uh, but now that President Barack Obama is out of the picture, we, we basically fell off the wagon. And, we did. We did. Uh, I think the stats showed that African-Americans came out upwards of 80 to 90 percent to vote during the days of Barack Obama these last this last election. I think it was somewhere around 20 percent. And uh, I mean, that's problematic. So when we talk about a plan, number one, we have to vote. We've got to make voting. I, I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to say radical necessarily, but I am like just very strongly and passionate that I believe every church needs to be talking about voting. I know we are concerned well, about spiritual things, but we need to create a culture and uh, enforce a culture that says, hey, we as a church are going to vote because that's where the change takes place. We got to vote not just for president. And to be honest with you, presidents, they have great influence, uh, but they can't do things really on their own. They need the help of our Congress, and it's also the influence what happens in the state and the local level. So we've got to vote for all of those positions. Beyond that, we do need a leader. I've said this recently on social media. We will not have another Dr. King. It's not going to happen. So we're going to have to get creative and really form some something that I like to call like a coalition uh, for Black America, if you will. And it cannot, we cannot necessarily work towards unity. Uh, we've got to work towards solidarity. Oh, and, can you can you explain the difference between those two things? Yeah. So the Black culture, Black America is not monolithic. We are not all the same type of people. We Amongst ourselves, we have different socioeconomic values. Um, we all have different agendas. And so the point is, we're not going to agree on everything. But for the sake of our, our cause, we've got to come together. Uh, and we have to be able to articulate the things that we do agree on. And I can't speak for everybody, but for me, one of the, one of the things that I think becomes important is that we need to vote. I think we need to see education equity. We need to see equity in our education system. One of the reasons we struggle uh, is because we've had poor education systems, especially in the inner city. Our kids don't see the value of going to school. They don't see the value of graduating, don't see the value of going to college. So those are some of the things, voter registration, equity, maybe even financial investment. And this may be a, one of those topics uh, but we do need to talk about the fact that every other culture that has been in justice in America has received some form of financial compensation. They receive some kind of financial compensation. Uh, some people don't like the word. It's called reparations. Yes. <laughs> for the injustice that's been done. We're the only people that have had, in my opinion, the grossest form of injustice and the absence of financial investment. I mean, we, our foreparents worked for free and got nothing to show for it. They just said, okay, here's your papers, go. And really the, the bridge to really being free uh, was sharecropping. So we'll give you a piece of the land, you'll work on our land for us. And it was indentured uh, servitude. So that everybody's not gonna agree on that. And I recognize that, but those are just some of the things that we've got to come around. And once again, we're not gonna get unity but we can at least say for the sake of the cause, we're going to come together. No, I think solidarity is important. And I, uh, listeners, I appreciate Reverend Taylor making that distinction. And there is a lot of controversy around things like reparations 
And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't need a handout and you just give me an equal opportunity and things like that. But I, I would, I would challenge each of us to go and look and see just how much the deck has been stacked. The wage disparity in this country between white and black America for every, I think it's like $120 that a white family has, the average African-American family has like less than a dollar. Exactly. Less than a dollar. And as this pandemic has shown, your life can be completely disrupted and upended with the absence of one paycheck. One paycheck away from poverty, one paycheck away from being out on the street. That is a very real situation for African-Americans. And to the point that believers, I think that sometimes prayer becomes a, how do I want to use this word? I can't think of a better term, a cop-out in a sense, you know, like I'm going to pray about it. That way I don't have to do anything about it. And I don't think I don't think that's what Jesus, and Jesus was a disruptor. I think a lot of people forget that. Jesus was very disruptive. Jesus was an agitator. That's why they nailed him to the cross because he was turning things around. He was disrupting the economics. He was disrupting the, who had power in the, in that region. And, and people were like, so wait a minute, we don't have to live by rules and regulations. Wait a minute. We don't have to be taxed beyond our ability to pay. Wait a minute. We can, can receive grace and mercy. And the people that have been running things, Pharisees and the Sadducees was like, oh no, oh no. Mm-hmm. We got to shut that right down. So what I want people to understand is that Christian activism isn't something that's new. Jesus was a Christian. He was the Christian mm-hmm. activist. At least that's from my view. Yeah, so true. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, if you're looking for Jesus's sermon on agitation, let me read it to you. Oh, do it, do it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I can go on and on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I mean, when Jesus stood on the mountainside and preached that, mm-hmm. that rung a note uh, in the ears of the disenfranchised, the least, the lost, and left out. They're saying, oh, there's a place for me in the kingdom. It's not just for the people in power. It's not just for the people who have wealth and money who are in charge. No, I may be disenfranchised, left out, but there is a place for me in the kingdom. And once again, it's those types of messages and even what you referenced, what he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was like, hey, who is this guy? What, what's going on here? And uh, it's necessary. It's needed. If Jesus did it and we're Christ's followers, we're following the footsteps of Jesus, why aren't we doing it? I want to, I agree. I think a lot of people use prayer as a cop-out. They do. Uh, because it's the easiest thing to do. Sometimes it's the easiest thing to do. Well, I can just pray to my heavenly father and everything will be okay. Well, that's true. Prayer is needed. It's necessary. It should be one of the first steps. But when I think about a larger conversation about what our faith is and how our faith should operate, we agree that faith without works is dead. That's it. That's it. If you're just speaking spiritual jargon, but never choosing to live out your faith, uh, you really don't have a faith at all. And The same thing is true when it comes to the areas in which we pray for. Uh, If you're praying for a job, but you don't get an application, fill it out, show up to the interview. There's no way 
that this thing that you're praying for is going to happen. Say it. Furthermore, and I want to switch, flip the script here for a second. If in areas where we know where there is wrong, we have many times we have no problem speaking up about those things. For example, we don't have an issue speaking out against sexual abuse. We don't have an issue speaking out about things that are stated as sin. We will be quick to come to that from a biblical perspective. No, no, no. The word of God says da, 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 da. But in this area, why, and I mean this personally, why do we as black people, why are we afraid to speak against racism? Well, you can't pick and choose. All of that is forms of agitation that becomes necessary for the church, the people of God to do. One thing I want to remind people and listeners, do your homework. Please be clear, all Black people in the era of the 1960s were not fans of Martin Luther King. Absolutely. They thought he was causing trouble, that yep. he was making things worse for them, that they would have much preferred to just go along and get along because it was quote unquote, it was easier, it was quieter, it was the low hanging fruit of oppression. Like if you just leave us be, and here you are out here causing all these problems. But had he not done that, we couldn't even be having a conversation about voting. <laughs> Many of us couldn't even have the jobs that we occupy. I know I couldn't be teaching at the college that I'm teaching at in front of the population that I'm teaching. That's we right. wouldn't even be showing up in those places. And so, at some point, we all have to evaluate and say, okay, what skin am I willing to put in the game? Now, that skin may not be the front lines of protest. I mean, especially in a global pandemic, which that, that just goes to show the power of, of what's happening right now. COVID is still in the, in the, in the mix, <laughs> you know. It, there's still no cure. There's still no treatment. There's still no vaccine. And yet, people have said, to heck with that. I feel so strongly and passionately about this that I'm willing to put myself at risk just to let it be known that this is not okay. So that might not be for you, but donating to some of these causes might be for you. If you are not a registered voter, that might be putting your skin in the game. And we talked a lot on the last episode that presidents don't decide these issues of justice that affect our community. Presidents don't decide that. Uh, right. Senators don't decide that. It's, it's the mayors. It's the DA. It's the judges on the bench, which most people are clueless about who these judges are on the ballot. And they just get rubber stamped through to the next election. So all of us at some point have to kind of evaluate what kind of skin we're willing to put in the game. I don't want to leave the conversation without talking about what's happening on social media right now. So, and there's a lot happening on social media right now. So right now, there's a lot of judgment happening. If you say nothing, black or white, if you say nothing about what's happening, people will come after you. If you post, you know, your little black square and say you're going to be muted and listening, but you're not amplify amplifying black voices, people are going to come after you. And God forbid you say the wrong thing. People will not only come after you, they will publish your address. They will find out what, I'm serious, they'll find out where your kids go to school. They will try to yeah. get you fired from your job. And so there's this cancel culture that is very aggressive. And so what is kind of your advice to Christians trying to sift through all the noise that's happening on, on social media right now? That's a great question. And I don't know if I really have the answer. Okay. Um, but what I would say is, you cannot let your witness be silenced. Okay. Um, sometimes you are, you're responsible for what you say. Uh, you cannot always, 
and I used to think differently about this, but you cannot always manage what you say in light of how other people will think or feel uh, if it's true. And that's the challenge. Uh, if what you're saying is said in love, if what you're saying is true, uh, you should not hold that back. And sometimes we use this guise of cancel culture to shirk back. But every voice is needed. Every voice is necessary. Uh, and we have to trust that the voices of truth, uh, like my father always told me, uh, the cream always rises to the top. Uh, that the voices of truth will drown out all of the negativity, all of the those voices that just seek to shut people down. Uh, if what you're saying is true and it's said in love and comes from the right place, I think that's the best we can do. But there is something to be said about that. I mean, the Bible says that we should speak the truth in love. So there is exactly. a way to speak truth in a way that is loving, even when, and, and love is not always that feel good. True. Sometimes it's tough love. But we can speak the truth in love. The Bible says that we need to season our words. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and of course, that's my, that's always going to be my preference. I'm an English professor. And I say there's a difference between writing and composing. A composition mm. is an intentional arrangement of words. And that's what I would advocate for, an intentional arrangement of words something that you consider, that you reflect on, that you read a few times before you hit send, because once it's out there, it's out there. Even though I, I am completely in favor of everybody feeling all the emotions that you want to feel, the anger, the hurt, the frustration, I don't know that social media is the best place to vent <laughs> said frustrations and anger, because... Anything that shows up on the screen nowadays can be screenshot. So I, I will just say to everyone, be careful. So the last question, uh, well, last couple of questions I want to ask, you know, you are a parent. I am a parent. And raising Black children in America is a very different experience than raising other children in America. Mm -hmm. And so as a father, what are your, what is your approach to, these issues that are happening in the world, even Sesame Street, Lord, even Elmo and came and weighed in on these issues. How, what would you say to, to parents that are, are raising children in the midst of all of this and trying to strike the balance between giving them a dose of reality, but also saying that all is not lost? What, what is your, your perspective on that? Yeah. And I think there's a biblical perspective here as well. And at least the Sunday school lesson that we taught on Sunday from Proverbs chapter one talked about the importance of, of parents teaching their children. In the Old Testament, it was the Jewish family unit that God instituted, uh, or just the family unit in general, God instituted it so that parents can teach their children the right thing. So the first thing I would say is that we have a responsibility to, at the appropriate time, have these tough discussions with our children. And as not only a parent, but as a Christian parent, uh, it's important that I communicate and teach biblical value that sin, uh, sin has created this cycle of racism and prejudice in this world. It's a matter of the heart that gets expressed in many different ways. But there is hope because when we allow Christ to come into our life, uh, he can change anyone from whatever their sin habit, their sin struggle 
may be. So that's a, that can be a complex conversation. It has multiple layers of dealing with the reality of sin, racism, and prejudice in America. But then you have this other layer in lens that says we have to address it from a Christian perspective. And I think all of that becomes, you know, part of the 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 lesson that we as parents must teach our children. To, and I'll just say this, for me to speak about it just from a social perspective, that won't solve it for my child and give them hope. I have to be able to bring in that spiritual perspective that says, although this is the what you see, uh, this is what you see, we still believe God can change people. God can change you into who he wants you to be, to be an agent of change, of hope, of justice and reconciliation. I dig it. And I want to... Because I have a minister on the line, y'all, I have to ask him a theological question. So, and you know, he he scored top marks when he in his in his graduate pursuits. So hope you're ready for this question because this I've seen this, you know, and, and this is how we'll end. So I've I've seen some things on social media, uh, specifically from Christians and believers that will that were referring to Genesis, a conversation that God had with Abraham saying that your people will be oppressed for 400 years in a land that is not theirs. And then they will come out with great possessions. Now, you know, you look at the timing, 1619 slavery started. So it's been about 400 years. And so there's a faction of believers that believe, hey, our ship is about to come in. Um, <laughs> and then uh, what else is it that I've heard? Um, that in the in these last days, you know, there will be wars and rumors of wars and, and all kinds of tribulations and things like that. So we kind of have the glasses half full group and then we kind of have the like, ooh, you know, we looking at end times group. So where do you, as a theologian, as a minister, as a man of the cloth, where are you situating yourself in, in those conversations? Because some people believe, you know, the Old Testament is cool, but them promises ain't for you. So, so where are you finding yourself in all that? That's a great question. And uh, one of the things that after doing a lot of study on eschatology, the study of the end times, all that conversation about war and rumors of war, one of the things that I, I had to uh, really just come to terms with is that I don't have a, a vision of, of how it all plays out in the end. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is, I don't know. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think we have to be very careful of people who think they do know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, uh, you know, it, it is one of those things. Some, some of us are spiritual conspiracy theorists. Mm. Uh, we want to use our vantage point as a Christian and our relationship with God to be able to say, hey, I understand everything that's happening in the earth and I know what God is doing. Uh, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts right. are not our thoughts. And right. so I would rather shift uh, someone who would share that information with me. I would say, rather than spending our time thinking about maybe uh, what God is trying to say and what he's doing, uh, to focus on what we do know, focus on what we are certain of, uh, focus on what we need to do and leave the rest up to God. And I don't want that to be seen as a spiritual cop-out, but it is for me a redirection of energy that sometimes those conversations, they don't get us to a place <laughs> where we really need to be. Uh, you can get lost. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. And I don't consider myself 
a prophet in the contemporary sense. I consider myself more of a prophet of old, uh, where we speak truth to power, not always foretelling the future, believe in foretelling from the word of God, from what we do know that God has already said. So I hope that makes sense. My answer is, I don't know. No, they- I'm going to focus on what I do know. What we do that? know. <laughs> and, and what we do know, and, and believers, here's the thing. All of us have varying levels of, of experience with the Bible. Some of us have read it back to front. Some of us, you know, have flipped through a few pages. But one thing that I will say is that we always, whatever's going on in the world, especially, you know, right, how, right now with this issue of, of racism that is, has kind of come back up and circled back around in such a, a public and, and prominent way. One scripture that always stands out to me is, is God makes social contracts with people all the time. If you read the Bible, God is making all kinds of social contracts with people, with his people. And one of those contracts is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, you know, then he will heal the land and, and all those things. We're very familiar with that scripture. But America as a whole, it has not dealt with its original sin. And that sin is human enslavement. That is the sin of slavery. That is what that did. And until I think America repents for that, for real, for real, <laughs> meaning a turning away from that, I don't from my perspective, I don't see the healing that we, that we are hoping for and that we're lobbying for. Now, I hope that this, with all these protests in the streets and things like that, that people in places of power will start to say, I mean, and not just say, because a lot of them are given a lot of lip service, but I mean, really, because you can say, oh Lord, please forgive me for this, you know, but until you really turn it around, until you turn your back on that thing and start to make for lack of a better term, restitution, some sort of spiritual restitution that indicates that you are no longer devoted to that thing, I don't think that we're going to see the kind of change that many of us are hoping for. And I just, that's, when you say, you know, speak about what we do know, that's what I do know about God, that God makes social contracts with us, with his people all the time. And he's saying, if you do this, then I'll do that. And I think we're just waiting to see if we will hold up our end of the social contract. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a great point. Do what you do know. And that is, you know, to be prayerful. That is to be participatory, to participate, be light in darkness, be the salt in, in the earth. And we do our part. God will do his part. Yes. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, all right, please close us out. You have to close us out because I know a lot of us need it right now. I'm going to ask that you close us out on this very special episode in a word of prayer. Thank you so much, Reverend Jasper, Paul Taylor, being a guest on this show. We appreciate you. We needed to hear your voice. It was so important because I know it it really blessed me and and listeners, I hope it blessed you as well. Go ahead and take us out. Thank you again, Dr. Shante, for having me. And I do consider it an honor to be on the show today. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for another day another day where we can freshly experience your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Uh, Lord, you have not been caught uh, by surprise by everything that has taken place in this world. Uh, We are reminded uh, that sometimes you allow things to happen uh, for various reasons, to grow us, to strengthen us, sometimes even to correct us. And so we do pray that this season that we are in, 
that our spiritual antennas would be up, that we might hear your voice more clearly, see your hand at work more distinctly. And we do pray for the many individuals, not only this year, but over these last 400 years who have been martyrs, who have been killed and shot and lynched at the hand of brutal oppressors. We thank you for their sacrifice. But Lord, my prayer today is that we would not just be grateful for their sacrifice, but that we would show our gratitude by being light in darkness, by being salt in the earth, by being spiritual agitators, willing to sit not just with holy discontent, but being moved by your spirit to be the hand and feet of your son Jesus in this earth. Lord, I do pray for your church, the spiritual community, that you would raise us up for such a time as this, that our voice, our spiritual perspective would not be silenced or hid under a bushel, but that you might empower us by your Holy Spirit to be who you called us to be for such a time as this. We ask for an Esther spirit, willing to speak up (laughs) for our people. And Lord, we realize the road is not easy, but all things are possible through you. And Lord, I thank you for Dr. Shantae. I thank you for the work that you've called her to and how you've empowered her and enabled her to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Bless her, bless her daughter, her entire family, and all those who are connected to her. And most of all, God, we pray that in the end, we will receive the victory. We thank you. We ask it in your name, the strong name of Jesus. We say amen. Amen. So listeners, if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, hit me up at Dr. Shante Says. Where can they find you on social media? Are you, are you taking comments from people on social media? You know, pastors be like, look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a millennial, so I'm okay with the social media Okay, piece. okay. Uh, I am on Instagram and I am on Facebook. And you know what? I believe my, my handle is Jasper Paul Taylor. Okay. I think that's correct. Let me. <laughs> he said, let me double check. But yeah, yes, go, go check. show Reverend Taylor some love. And and I, I hope that, that this episode and, and his prayer for sure gave you all some, some encouragement, some, some hope, because that's what we're about here at Whole and Complete. So thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next time.